We are just a few weeks away from the start of a new season, which means we should probably get started on our season previews for the 2020-2021 NHL season. And this week, we are evaluating the Canadian and Western divisions and try to predict which eight teams will punch their postseason ticket in May. And the playoff hunt might be tighter than you think. Episode 249 of the Lace Them Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. The final one for 2020. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And uh, we're starting our season previews. Uh, Brett, uh, we might as well start with everyone's favorite division as a biased Canadian. I'm saying that the Canadian division. Yeah, um, well, first off, before we get to our previews, I should mention that there was a couple of NHL news stories that happened this week, um, although luckily, like, uh, Mike Hoffman gets a PTO with St. Louis, um, Andreas mm-hmm. Anthony Ciu, uh signs with the LA Kings, um, Ottawa Senators get uh, Derek Stepan, Braden Coburn, and Cedric Paquette. But luckily, we're covering the North Division and the West Division this week. So we're covering all those teams anyways, um, which will be um, interesting there from that perspective. I guess in other stories, which I guess we'll get to next week, um, Henrik Lundqvist has officially undergone uh, surgery, um, and that's not... uh, And it seems like... I. This is something that we, I mean, we covered this when it was announced a couple weeks ago, but um, I guess it it appears like that this has been an ongoing heart condition that he's had for a while now, um, which is just crazy that, like, the Rangers organization didn't notice it or just didn't care about it enough to even, like, uh, treat it well enough. And so it's like... This is like a life potentially a threatening condition, and the fact that he was able to be a Hall of Famer um, while he had this serious heart condition is incredible. It's amazing. And um, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I don't know if anyone would be wise to play through this if they knew how bad it was. It could have been just a case mm-hmm. of. You know, it's manageable, but in the end, it's just like, oh, this was more serious than we thought. Oops. Um, and, and, and maybe Henrik Lundqvist, uh, himself, maybe he thought it wasn't as bad as, as what it was led on to be, but, um, obviously now they're getting the right advice and they're going about it the right way. And, um, fortunately it didn't lead to death. Fortunately, he's still alive and, and living pretty comfortably. So, um, that's that's the good news. They're treating it now, and um, but but yeah, it, it's definitely chilling to think back and just like, man, this could have gone in a very different direction and not in a good way. Yep. And then the other news story that I feel like we should touch up on, uh, even though it's a team that we'll talk about next week, um, is the Chicago Blackhawks because, uh, well, first off, uh, Kirby Dak 
Uh, he got he got injured in the World Juniors in a prelim uh, preliminary game. First off, he like he hit his wrist on like a, a Russian player, um, and then um, it looked I, they showed photos. Yeah, of it wasn't it was like an ugly crazy. situation. It was just an innocent looking play, right? Yeah, but then when they showed him what the wrist looked like, it was like oh, God, like. It was like very disfigured and stuff. So, yeah, he's getting surgery, and um, so it looked like it did well, but it's gonna keep him out for the rest of the year. Um, and also, yeah, four or five months is what I heard is. The yeah, time exactly. And time. also, this just in that Jonathan Taze uh, will not join the Blackhawks for training camp due to a medical issue, um, and there's no timetable <laughs> for his return just yet. So. Um, so yeah, the Blackhawks. I mean, the Blackhawks were rebuilding anyways. They've already announced that, but this even furthers that case. Where of course it's unfortunate news. Both these stories, um, and hopefully both of them are healthy. And this isn't like a career ending for either player. But um, yeah, the Blackhawks don't have their two best centers um, playing right now, and they don't even have a goalie. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, they're going to be in bad shape um, this season. Yeah, I have a feeling this year is going to be long and painful in Chicago, which yeah. I'm sure people looking at their three cups in six years are just going to be like, eh, hands of time are catching up to you. We're not that sorry for you, but right. it doesn't <laughs> – not the ideal way to start your NHL season, even for a rebuilding team. Right. The, yeah. Not great. Yeah, even even if these players did play, it wouldn't it would be a long season. It probably, for wouldn't, Ox, it, it so. probably wouldn't matter. Yeah, but um, um, but yeah, I guess like on the positive side, like this means that we get to see more of like Dylan Strom, and you can see what these players like young players can do because there's more opportunity for these centers. But um, yeah. on the other hand, and like you know, and if the they're probably going to lose more games because of these losses from these two important guys. So, like, they might have a better chance at getting that first overall pick uh, this year. So, maybe that's, like, the bright side of things. But, of course... Isn't uh, Carl Soderberg also uh, a center? Yeah, Carl Soderberg's there. So, that might be why they yeah, got so Soderberg. I'm actually kind of wondering if they signed Carl Soderberg knowing that uh, we might be without take for a while. Oh, well, I was thinking, because they that, signed that him. Happened, that happened a few days ago. Well, no, they signed him. I, I was thinking that was more in reaction to the Kirby Dak uh, deal. True. Um, well, now it's a bit of both. Apparently. Yeah, now it is a bit of both. Uh, yeah, maybe they'll get another center. That's also possible, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there there are some um, options on the free agency wire. And circling yeah. back to the Capitals, they've signed Craig Anderson to a professional tryout. So right. he could be in the cards while Lundqvist isn't playing. So just sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess there's Dylan Strom I see here on Daily Faceoff. They haven't replaced Jonathan Taves yet, so I don't know what they're going to do. But, yeah, Carl Soderberg is on here as well, so. We'll see. Mm -hmm. um, okay. <clears throat> so now let's get into the previews. We're going to cover the the Canadian division or the North division, as it's officially called, and the uh, West division. Um, so for each team, we're going to go alphabetically by city name. 
Um, and we're going to, so I have the key additions and key subtractions. Um, I'm sure, uh, Steve has some other ones if I've missed any, but I try to take the most like prominent ones that should have a big effect on their teams. Um, so we'll see. Um, and then for each team we switched off and we came up with like a storyline for each team. Um, and, and that's what we're going to do. And then we'll do predictions at the end of each division. So we're going to start off with uh, Calgary. And uh, so their key addition was Jacob Markstrom. They also got Josh Levio, Dominic Simone, and Joe Kim Nordstrom. Although those last three will probably be like, you know, the bottom, uh, like in the fourth line roles kind of guys. But... Um, they're still kind of notable because they, you know, every now and then you see them on the score sheet. So um, they're kind of improving their depth there. Um, subtractions. Uh, Cam Talbot's gone. Uh, TJ Brody and Eric Gustafson, although there was only, like, the he, Gustafson only played a couple of games for Calgary at the time. But still, um, it's there. Um, so my storyline for Calgary is that... Well, so the, the Calgary Flames kind of had a little bit of a disappointing season this year um, and, and all that stuff. And it felt like a big reason why that was was because of their goalie situation where they had uh, Cam Talbot there. It didn't, like, it seemed like he was okay. I mean, he had a big stint during the playoffs, but um, he kind of felt f faltered off a bit after that. So, um so now they get Jacob Markstrom, and I mean, he also is a bit of a risk factor. He's, you know, he's 30 years old. He, yeah, he's had injuries a long time for the last two seasons. So I'm curious to see how will Jacob Markstrom live up to his big, his big season like that he had last year to this year on a new team um, and, and all that stuff. And I don't know. I think... I think he he could. It's it was kind of interesting. I mean, we'll get to Vancouver in a second, but it's interesting how um, during the playoffs, Thatcher Demko kind of took over as the starting goaltender for the Canucks, and you know, in a way, I feel like uh, Jacob Markstrom did more um, in the regular season to prove that he is a legitimate starter, whereas. Thatcher Demko, I feel like, might not live up to what he was able to do in the bubble. So, um, so then when you, you know, but either way, Jacob Markstrom is a an improvement on Cam Talbot. So I, uh, I am curious how this is going to affect things, and I feel like it's going to make a difference. The least, like this, does at least raise them up to the top of the division, and I, I have, spoiler alert, I have them in my top four uh, to make the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I think I think this will help a lot, but this is something to watch out for when you're watching the Calgary Flames. Yeah, Calgary's a very interesting team. Um, for, for those of you who weren't following them in the offseason, they, they did a couple of things to tinker with their lineup. Uh, first of all, they got a lot of former Vancouver Canucks. Yep. And by former Canucks, I mean Canucks that played for the Canucks last year and no longer play for the Canucks. Uh, they got 
as you mentioned, Jacob Markstrom being the big fish. They also got Chris Tanev, I believe that's a four-year deal. Yep. Um, so they got him for a shutdown defensive role. Uh, Josh Levo, you mentioned. Uh, Louis Domingue uh, as a third stringer. They also got Dominic Simone to be like a fringe top six, bottom six kind of player. Um, so there's that. Um, and I think there are a couple of things that did Calgary in. One was their goaltending. It was hot and cold throughout the season. Um, also, their depth scoring. Their depth scoring, the good news is their depth scoring really emerged in the playoffs. In that play-in series with Winnipeg, in uh, the first round series with Dallas, at times their depth scorers were probably their best scorers. I remember Dylan Dubay was having uh, a pretty good showing um, against Dallas, against Winnipeg, so that was great. Um, so the depth guys performed fairly well during the postseason, not always consistent during the regular season. Um, Sean Monaghan was taking a bit of heat on the trade rumor mill this offseason. Yeah. Similar song and dance with Johnny Goudreau. So their offensive scores, their primary offensive scores are probably going to be relied upon as well. Um, just their all-around offense. It was a Jekyll and Hyde situation there. I think it's going to be the same Jekyll and Hyde situation with their defense this year. Because sure, Jacob Markstrom might be a better solution in goal than Cam Talbot. And sure, he might push David Riddick, which is good because I feel both are fiery goaltenders, both feed off of energy, and I think that's going to be a solid tandem in the league this year. And Chris Danov is going to help on the defensive front. They also have Nikita Nestrov as defensive depth. They have a couple of other guys in the minors that could help out with that. Um, and whatever games Domingue doesn't play, he can substitute as a pastry chef. So you've yeah. got a good uh, team guy there. But the big question is, TJ Brody and Travis Hamnick are gone. I say Travis Hamnick because he hasn't signed, but I don't think the Flames can afford to keep him now. Right. So those are two guys in particular that I think are going to be pretty tough to replace. Because sure, Chris Tanev might be able to be that pain-in-the-butt defenseman that Hamnick is. Maybe not to the T, but like close enough. But... TJ Brody, when he signed with the Leafs, the big rhetoric around Brody was this is one of those guys that doesn't turn the puck over a whole heck of a lot. He's a very disciplined defender. When it comes to puck management, he might be one of the best in the league at that. So is Calgary's defense going to take a hit because TJ Brody isn't there? And in my opinion, it doesn't even matter how good the goalies are. Um, I think that that amount of defensive liabilities that remain without Brody there um, in some way that could help or in some ways that could harm the Calgary flames rather. Yep. Will it cost them a division spot? Tough to say. I think they could be good enough to be a top four team. We'll determine later, but um, they could be a lot better if everything goes according to plan. So it's a mixed bag as to what Calgary could be this year. It depends on how their defense holds. Um, on the defensive front, uh, you, we forgot to mention that Yusuf Alamaki uh, should be back um, and should make a difference on the defensive side of things, too. So uh, that's also definitely a possibility there for for Calgary. And, I mean, he's not as a, much of a shutdown guy as he is more of an offensive defenseman. But um, even better, you know, that, that can help them in the long run for sure. Um, okay, uh, so let's go to our next team here, which is Edmonton. 
Um, <clears throat> so uh, in terms of key additions and key subtractions, we have, um, well, Pool Party, uh, Pool URV, Jesse Pool URV. Um, it's, uh, he's coming back, although technically he's not really, you know, uh, they, did, they did sign him, but he wasn't, you know, he didn't really go to another team. Um, in the NHL, he went to uh, his Finnish team for a year, um, and then he re-signed back with Edmonton, but we're still going to count him as a key addition here. Um, Tyson Berry also is added on here. Uh, Kyle Turris is here, and Dominic Cahoon is another one. Um, in terms of subtractions, um, Oscar Clefbaum, even though he's still on the team, he is uh, going to be out for the full year because he has surgery. Um, and then also this just happened, Andreas Athanasiu, as well as a key subtraction as well. Of course, Edmonton has, you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Um, and they're, you know, they're still, like, even with all those uh, subtractions, they're still, um, they're still going to be a pretty good team. They had 83 points. Um, last year. They should have had the bye during the bubble, but they didn't, um, and they got upset by the Blackhawks of all teams. So, um, yeah, they, they should still be a good team just because of Dreisaitl and McDavid, but will that be enough? Um, and Steve, you have the storyline here. Yeah, so the storyline for the Edmonton Oilers, uh, when compared to the Calgary Flames, it's pretty interesting because the Edmonton Oilers were 37-25-9 and nine last year. The Calgary Flames were 36-27-7. and seven. So the Flames had one fewer win. They had 79 points, which is uh, four fewer than the Oilers. You look at the goal differential, Edmonton scored 223 goals, gave up 215, so that's a plus-eight goal differential. The Calgary Flames, meantime, scored 204 goals, gave up 214. That's a negative-10 goal differential. And... The Calgary Flames, their power play was over 21% successful. They killed 82.1% of their penalties. Edmonton was among the cream of the crop in the NHL. 29.5 success rate on the power play, 84.4 success rate on the penalty kill. Their special teams were a big part of their success. And, of course, McDavid and Dreisaitl were dominant. The fact that you can have two MVP caliber players on your team and your goal differential is only plus eight kind of tells you the storyline right there Edmonton needs good defense and they need their death players to show up the good news is even though they lost Andreas Athanasiu they were able to of course gain Jesse Pugliarvi who is coming off that big season overseas hopefully the confidence is back and he can thrive in a top six, bottom six role with the team. You also have Tyson Berry helping out on the offensive, defensive side of things, which is good. Uh, Kyle Turris has joined the party as well. Huge addition. Could be a second or third line contributor there. Could produce solid numbers. Same with Dominic Cahoon, top six, bottom six forward. They get Adam Cracknell from a European club. Uh, as a third stringer, they have Anton Forsberg too. So... I think their depth is much stronger than it was last year. Um, as we saw with the neon line, Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins showed some good chemistry there, so that's positive. Um, so I think this Oilers team stands up to be better than last year's in that regard. This is where things get dicey. 
Mike Green retired, so he's not on their defense. Right. Matt Benning left for Nashville. He's not on their defense. Oscar Kleffbaum is injured. He is out for, I think, the full season. Is, so that's yeah. three defense that were on their defensive plans last year that are not on the plans this year, which means Darnell Nurse is going to have to eat up a lot of minutes. Caleb Jones is going to have to play a big role. And Ethan Bear, who just recently signed a two-year extension, has to level up. Those three individuals need to be absolute monsters for the Oilers. And if they're average to not good, that could really harm Edmonton in the standings. Yeah, the defense is definitely more of a um, question mark this year than it was last year. Because last year, you know, you can make the case that Oscar Clefbaum really helped um, solidify Edmonton as, like, a, you know, as a contending team. Um, and then I feel like there was, uh, you know, and then, you of course, you have McDavid, Dreisaitl, and you're always going to be in contention with those guys, but now you have to worry about all the other t- players on that roster. Uh, you know, Dreisaitl with uh, Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto became to be a very dangerous line, um, mm-hmm. and probably the danger- most dangerous line in the league right now, um, Other dare I say. <laughs> Actually, I probably would rather have the Boston Trio or Colorado, but... Um, it's up there. Uh, and then, you know, yeah, it, you just forget about the fact that, you know, you also have defense and you also have goaltenders and stuff, um, which is kind of like, I guess, what uh, Toronto is dealing with now as well. But And by the yeah. way, Edmonton's goaltending hasn't changed. It's still yeah. Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. That's still their tandem. Yeah, so so that's, that's still a question mark and stuff of... Like, well, will Miko Koskinen be the guy to get it done? And I'm not really sure. And that's the same can be said for Mike Smith. Um, so, yeah, I'll be curious to say that. That's a that's a good storyline. Or that would have been my storyline if I had the Oilers on um, instead. So, uh, but <laughs> I guess, fortunately, I have Montreal, my favorite team. Um, <laughs> the... Montreal Canadiens are the next team here. Uh, they added Tyler Toffoli. They also added Josh Anderson and Jake Allen. And then they just got Corey Perry this this week. Um, they, uh, they didn't really subtract too many uh, players. Uh, they did have Max Domi, who's out. Um, and that's been about it in terms of like the key guys. Um, of course, Steve will probably have more people that they lost. Um, yeah, they bought out. They bought out Carl Olsner, and that's yeah, pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of storyline stuff, well, first off, I should say Montreal. Uh, they did upset the. Uh, uh, was it? No, it wasn't. It wasn't they, uh, Toronto. They broke Pittsburgh's hearts in right, they, uh, the they defeated, series. That took four games. Yeah. I forgot if it was Toronto or another team. So no. yeah, it was Pittsburgh. Montreal. They wouldn't shut up about it if it was Toronto. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was thinking, like, it can't be Toronto, because I feel like I would have known. Um, so, so um, yeah, so they, they had 71 points in 71 games last year. 
Um, and uh, a lot of it had to do with Carey Price. Um, or, like, you know, it seemed like Carey Price was... Um, he wasn't as good um, later on, and you know, because they were relying on Carey Price almost too much. And now I'm curious to see what they'll do with Jake Allen um, as the backup role, and especially with this condensed schedule, whether it's going to be back to back to back to backs. Um, I wonder what they're going to do there. However, that's not my storyline that I'm going to talk about because that is fascinating. But since I've already talked about goalies and my first one, I figured I'll I'll switch it up a little bit. Um, the fact that they get Josh Anderson, they get uh, Tyler Toffoli, uh, they sign Brendan, re-sign Ga- Brendan Gallagher. We had a whole episode about this, um, and then they just get Corey Perry. They also have Cole Caulfield in the mix as well, although he's going to be in Wisconsin for another year. But uh, they have him for the future. So I'm really curious about this whole. Josh Anderson experiment and Tyler Toffoli experiment, like, they, you know, Josh Anderson didn't really have a great season last year. He did have a decent year the year before that, but, um, you know, that's it's still really tough to tell with Josh Anderson. And then they go on to sign him for, you know, six more years at $5.5 million. Um, and, like, I, so I'm going to be more curious to see if he can live up to that potential, um, and it's, and, and I'm not really sure if he can, um, not to get too much into, uh, the whole, you know, the thing again, because we had an whole episode about it again, but, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it's going to be an interesting situation because, you know, for a while or the last couple of years, they were looking for a center and then they finally do with, um, Jesperi Kotkaniemi or uh, Nick Suzuki. Um, Philip Deneau is also pretty good too. And so they have a decent amount of centers now. But now that I guess Mark Bergevin's focus is now on the right wings side of things. And I'm not sure if Josh Anderson's going to be the guy. I I do like Tyler Toffoli, so maybe he will be the guy. But, um, like, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if Josh Anderson's going to live up to that contract uh, just yet. So that's... That will be the storyline to see is if if it's if it's going to work out for Josh Anderson or not. They also have Thomas Tatar that can also score goals and right. points. Although he, I think he's more of a left winger than a right winger. Yeah, and he's also inconsistent at yeah. times. But when he's rolling, he can really contribute. And it just goes to show you, again, a lot of guys, like you have seven, eight guys that can play pivotal top-line minutes for this team. But there's only one puck, so... Yeah someone's numbers are going to take a hit True, because in order to really live up to the contract, you need to play in the minutes and granted Tatar and Deneau are an expiring contract. So when it comes to guys that you can move, probably those two are the first that come to mind. But again, if you want more on that, we talked about it on a full episode. So you can, by all means, take a look at that. They also uh, signed Mikhail for a league to a cheap one year deal too. Right. And uh, Joel Edmondson help out their back end. But, yeah, they Bart Bergevin did a lot of things to address some depth issues for the Montreal Canadiens. So I applaud him for at least trying to do that. Um, of course, everything still revolves around Carey Price. And yep. Carey Price had a very good, very good playoffs. But why was that? Was 
was it the team in front of him changed? No, he had rest. Yep. He had four months to prepare for this. So the backup, this one being Jake Allen, and this backup being a capable NHL goaltender, will hopefully give the Canadians what they need, which is good hockey when Carey Price is on the bench. Yep. And the Habs haven't gotten a lot of that over the past couple of years, so that needs to change. If I had to pick something, though, that stands out to me, Nick Suzuki. I think if Nick Suzuki has a really level-up campaign where he gets like 60 to 70 points, look out, the Canadians could be very, very tough to beat this year. I think if Nick Suzuki really evolves his game and just continues to make strides along with after that rookie season, uh, Montreal could be... They could be division contenders. I could see them winning the division if Nick Suzuki has a monster campaign. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but they could, they'll definitely be in playoff contention um, for sure. But I wouldn't go that far just yet. But because I feel like Toronto and Edmonton um, and Vancouver are all a, a level ahead of everyone else, so we'll see. Um, okay, um, now we go to Ottawa, um, which coincident not coincidentally because I intentionally did this for you, Steve, was that you're, you're taking the storylines here, but before we do that, I'll say their key additions, which is a fair amount, actually. Uh, Evgeny Dadanoff was the big one. Matt Murray as well. Uh, they just got Derek Stepan in a trade um, where they uh, traded him for a 2021 second-round pick, which is the Blue Jackets uh, pick. Uh, they also get... Uh, Galchenyuk, Alex Galchenyuk, Eric Goodbranson, uh, Braden Coburn, and Cedric Paquette, who they also got in a trade this week uh, for Marion Gabarik and Anders Nielsen, although it should be noted those two players um, are probably going to be on LTIR for a bit. Um, and then in terms, oh, and also they drafted Tim Stutzel, um, and it looks like he's probably going to be playing uh, this year after he's done with the World Juniors, and he's looked phenomenal in the World Juniors too. So um, so that's something to look forward to for sure for Ottawa. Um, in terms of subtractions, uh, there's Anthony Duclair, Craig Anderson, although it's not official yet, but it looks like Craig Anderson's not going to be on the team. Uh, Anders Nilsson, as I just mentioned, Bobby Ryan, and Marion Gabrick as well have all left the team for various reasons. Um so, Steve, what is your storyline, and yeah, what, what else can you say about the Ottawa Senators? So I will get to the storyline uh, closer to the end of my spiel, but um, they did do a lot the past week. Um, last year, they didn't have the roster to even think about winning games, um, but they upgraded in goal with Matt Murray. They have Marcus Sogberg and Joey Decord learning from him. Um, that That should be better than... Uh, the situation they had prior, even though Craig Anderson was good, nearing 40 years old, um, probably could learn from a guy like Matt Murray, who has won two Stanley Cups and nothing against Craig Anderson, but Ottawa's been bringing in guys that have won before and won fairly recently. So um, there's there's that. You also have Alex Galchenyuk coming in on a cheap one-year deal to help out the power play attack, um, just like... They signed Evgeny Dadnov for three years. Power play needs help scoring goals. They were, let's see, oh yeah, 14.2% successful. Um, 
and their penalty kill was only 76 percent i'm guessing both were near the bottom or at the very bottom of the league so uh, they help out the power play at least with the acquisitions of dadnov the acquisition of galchenyuk and with matt murray um some young fairly stable goaltending now i've been hearing around the grapevine that uh, sends owner eugene milnick I could just say Eugene Milnick, and people will know who I'm talking about. Uh, he feels confident the Sens can win the Stanley Cup within, I think it was a four- to five-year period. And mm-hmm. let me remind people that it took the Tampa Bay Lightning six, seven, maybe eight years of contention before they won it all uh, just a couple months ago. So to say that this rebuilding Ottawa Senators team could be capable of winning the Stanley Cup in the next four to five years. Not sure if I'm drinking that Kool-Aid, but if Melnick thinks that is realistic, there's no time to waste. This team needs to start winning, and they need to learn quickly. And by quickly, I mean day one of training camp. Um, And the next four to five years, it's the window for young guys like Tim Stutzla, Jake Sanderson, Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, um, Alex Formanson, to perform very well under entry-level salaries. And it appears that Melnick would prefer, at least it seems, that Melnick's preference would be for a young team to be contenders right away. Um, A Moneyball championship window, I like to call it. So the latest string of NHL deals to bring forward decent veterans to help out the future players kind of makes sense. Uh, they already got Josh Brown and Erica Branson on the blue line for cheap returns. Brown got a two-year extension. Erica Branson, Ottawa native, former top three pick, last year of his current contract. They also get Austin Watson in a trade with the National Predators. He's got a couple of years on his somewhat new contract. Uh, a guy that plays a chippy game makes the sense a tougher team to play against. Which brings us to the new additions. Derek Stefan, as you mentioned, Brett, comes over from Arizona in exchange for a second round pick in 2021, not Ottawa's original second. It's um, originally a pick that belonged to the Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm guessing either tied to the Dezingle trade or the Matt Duchesne trade. Uh, The Sens still have their original second. They also have a second round pick from the San Jose Sharks, which I'm guessing is from Eric Carlson. Thank you. Uh, They can afford to part ways at that point with a draft choice with those two seconds if they want some immediate veteran value i think they can part with a second there and sure derek stefan isn't the player he was a couple years ago from an offensive standpoint but still he has almost 500 career nhl points he served as an assistant captain in each of the past six years his final three with the rangers his three seasons with the coyotes he's been to the stanley cup playoffs multiple times in his NHL career. And in 2014, his New York Rangers went to the Stanley Cup Finals. So the resume he provides, especially to Ottawa's young centers, is a big boost for them. Mm -hmm. So there's the Derek Stefan side of things. Next, they deal away Marion Gabrick and Anders Nielsen to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Both are on long-term injury reserve. Both will not play. So they're basically shedding $7.475 million per NHL season that isn't going to be playing a single game for them probably to get Braden Coburn and Cedric Paquette and a second rounder in 2022, not in this coming draft, the one after from the Tampa Bay Lightning in return for these long-term injury reserve additions. So both 
Coburn and Paquette recently won a Stanley Cup. Again, continuing the trend of guys that have won before, guys that have won recently. Coburn is well into his 30s, but he is able to provide a little bit of defense to this team, take some of the pressure off of Erica Branson's back in the process. Um, Paquette is like Austin Watson. He mixes things up, and he can bring the energy, which um, I think uh, is a bit tougher to do with no fans in the stands. You need to try and go out and out there and create your own energy. And I think Paquette is the type of guy that can do that. Their combined cap hit, Paquette and Coburn, is $3.35 million this year, both, like Stefan, on expiring contracts. And Stefan's cap hit is $6.5 million, but a good chunk of that has been paid out because bonus money. So when it comes to real dollars, the Sens are only spending $2 million. So those three players this year... A combined $5.15 million. That's less than Stefan's cap hit on his current contract. And like I said, all three veterans, similar with Gabranson, similar with Galchenyuk, are on expiring contracts. If you don't keep them, you can move them at the trade deadline for futures. And in the meantime, they can help out the young guys and help them find their way. So I would say this strategy is much more efficient as opposed to throwing the young stars into the wolves and hoping they figure things out on the fly for themselves because I'm pretty sure in recent experiments that hasn't gone as well as some people hoped, like, uh, I don't know, Buffalo, maybe Edmonton too. So um, I, I, I think that approach is somewhat smart, but it begs the question... Why would you part ways with Craig Anderson, let Borvietsky walk in free agency, buy out Bobby Ryan, and not bring back Ron Hainsey? You're just bringing in more veterans when you said you're trying to get younger. But again, it goes back to bringing in guys that have recently won championships. They're trying to instill a Stanley Cup winning culture, even if it's for the short term. And I like what I see out of Tim Stutzla so far. That game against Canada where Germany just gets wallops. He made a huge check on Boren Byram that launched Byram into the Canadian bench. Germany was down 9-1 to one at that point. Yeah. And he's out there helping Germany try and score in the power play when it's 16-1 to one in the final two or three minutes of a hockey game mm. where they've already lost. They've, they've been losing and are destined to lose this game like 30 minutes prior to this. And he's still out there trying to make things happen. Like, that to me tells everything you need to know about Tim Stutzla and his character. It's really eye-opening to see that character on display when your team is getting shellacked as opposed to when things are going well because that's what people in Ottawa are looking at. They're looking at when the chips are down, when things aren't looking good. Is the team I'm going to cheer for going to fight to the end? Yep. And you need players that will fight to the end in order to do that. And Tim Stutzla appears to be one of those character guys that they need. So to say, to say the least, to summarize in a bullet point, Ottawa's storyline is keep getting better. Mature with every game you play. Learn how to win this year so you spend less time learning next year and the year after that. And then when that's been done, just keep winning games. So win now, win often, and keep learning. It's going to be another year of learning. Sens aren't expected to do well. They shouldn't do well, but they need to become a better hockey club so that when they're expected to win, they're winning games. 
Well, that's not really a storyline, but I'll I'll admit it since you've been talking for. About to be fair, how many storylines does Ottawa have? <laughs> right. No, I know. I know. I, fair, fair, fair enough. And I'll I'll give you a pass considering you just talk for ten minutes. So, um, I'll, that's okay. That's enough storylines for sure. Um, yeah, I will say about for Ottawa Senators. I think both of us will agree that they're not making the playoffs this year. They'll probably be last in the division. Um, and I am, like, I think I'm more curious about the fact that, like, you know, you add in guys like Josh Norris, you add in Tim Stutzla, uh, you have, like, young guys like Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, and Eric Brandstrom already there. Um, also, Colin White's pretty young, and Connor Brown, too. But then you have, like, these old guys that... Um, might need to like you know prove themselves, but they have shown that they are capable players like Evgeny Dadanov, Derek Stepan, Alex Galchenyuk, and then you have Matt Murray as well. So, like, I'm just kind of curious to see like the combination of like the young guys and the old guys who are trying to prove themselves uh, again. So I think if <laughs> if I had the storyline, I think that would be my my takeaway is like just the combination of having, like, experienced guys, but at the same time, like, if you take someone like Alex Galchenyuk, you know, this is his fourth team in three years, uh, or two years even. Um, like, how is he going to do? I don't even know. Um, and, like, if he, if he can't make it in Ottawa, he's probably not going to make it anywhere else. So, um, so that's... I, I'm just more curious about, like, how... That, that dynamic's going to work if Tim Stutzla's going to be good right away. Um, and I agree with you. He's I, I watched uh, the Germany-Slovakia game last last night, and he was by far the best player on both teams um, last night. So, um, yeah, he, he's, he's going to be pretty good for, for them for sure. And he's kind of like, I, I have a feeling they're going to do the same thing that they did for Brady Kachuk, where they just have him out. Um, as soon as they draft him and just hope that he's ready. And it looks like he is going to be ready right away because he was picked third overall. Um, but, you know, I might have picked Marco Rossi instead, but it seems like Tim Stutzla is going to be pretty good right away anyway. So we'll we'll if, see about if that. If you want, like, a tangible storyline as well, this is a big year for Logan Brown. Yeah. Like, you look at all of the young forwards that Ottawa has, if there is ever a time for Logan Brown to make a statement, it's this year. Yeah. He's going to have to do something to really catch Ottawa's attention. He's done that a few times, but consistently I haven't seen it. So I think Ottawa needs to give him that opportunity to showcase what he can do. This is honestly his best chance to make an impact with the Sens. So I hope he makes good on it. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, so funnily enough, I get, <clears throat> I get another storyline from, uh, another divisional rival or old time rival of the Bruins here. So I have the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is our next team. Um, so in terms of additions, there's, uh, Miko Lettinen, Wayne Simmons, Jimmy VC, Joe Thornton, uh, TJ Brody. Um, and then in terms of subtractions, it's also a fair amount of players, too. Um, Tyson Berry, Kasper Kapanen, Andreas Janssen, uh, Cody Cece as well. Um, so, yeah, we all know that, you know, Toronto has, like, a bunch of forwards, like, 
Austin, our great forwards in Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, William Nylander, um, and, you know, Frederick Anderson also often stands on his head, it seems, uh, just because of that stuff. So I was tempted to say, like, I know that Frederick Anderson is going to be a free agent next year, and uh, I was curious to see how Jack Campbell's going to do. But on the other hand, I think the bigger story for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it has been a storyline for the Toronto Maple Leafs for uh, the last couple of years, is the the defense. Um, so they they get rid of uh, Cody CC and Tyson Berry. Um, it's you know they were hit and miss last year, especially for Cody CC, who was more missed than hit. But Tyson Berry got going towards the end there, but. Um, but I think they could afford to lose him. Um, but then they add in this guy, Mika Lettinen, who, uh, you know, they get over the KHL, and he was pretty good in the KHL, so I'm gonna, I'm curious to see how he's gonna do there. Uh, they also get TJ Brody, who's more of a shutdown defenseman, which is exactly what Toronto needs. Um, they don't really need offensive defensemen, first off, because they have Morgan Riley. Um, <clears throat> And they also have so many good forwards that they don't really necessarily need a ton of offensive defensemen. They could also get Rasmus Sandin if he makes yeah. the team. Yeah, so I, I'm getting there, too. Oh, that's another offensive defenseman, too. Yeah, yeah. Saying. Well, no, I, I'm getting there. I was Actually, that was my next point. Yeah. <laughs> Rasmus Sandin, as you mentioned, is another guy that they, they can bring up, as well as Timothy Lilligren, who also has some off, offensive upside as well. Um, so those guys are going to be coming in. So I'm kind of curious, is this going to be a... Because it's clear that they focus on the defense as their big issue, and it is their big issue, but is this going to be enough? Is this going to be something that will take them to the next level of, of teams and make them truly a contender as opposed to just uh, being, um, being frauds? Um, and that's where I'm not necessarily sure... Uh, but this is definitely a storyline and something that we can all watch out for um, is like what's going to happen with those guys as well. I mean, I think on the offensive side of things, I am curious to see how Nick Robinson's gonna, Robertson's going to do in his first year. It seems like he's going to make the team, uh, the pro roster right away. So that'll be interesting for sure too. But, um, but yeah, I think there's more intrigue on the defensive side of things. Um, than, than compared to everything else that's going on in Toronto. If you want to um, pile on to Brett's point here about the defense, the Ottawa Senators don't have Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner or William Nylander or John Tavares or a bunch of other very talented forwards and defense that's, that the Toronto Maple Leafs have. I mean, sure, they have Nikita Zaitsev and Connor Brown who used to play for the Leafs, but that's a side point. That Ottawa Senators team last year that I just explained was one of the worst last year killed 76.1% of their penalties. The Toronto Maple Leafs killed off 77.7% of their penalties. With that offense, they are only a smidgen better than the Sens at killing penalties which tells you a lot about their defense or where it was 
Yep. And it wasn't there most nights, uh, and it cost them. So you're right, Brett. Um, defense is going to be huge for them. Um, they get guys like Jimmy VC and Joe Thornton to help with the offensive depth in terms of guys that make it tougher to play against. Zach Bogosian does that. Wayne Simmons does that. You have TJ Brody, who is a bit more disciplined defenseman. Uh, defensive zone turnovers really hurt the Leafs. Uh, this guy really cuts down on those, which is great. So I think they have made necessary changes to improve the team. And I think having a lot of offensive prospects like Nick Robertson makes it easier to trade away Kasperi Kapanen, who, by the way, they get 15th overall in 2020, which turns into Rodion Amarov, who is, I don't know if you heard, a pretty well-hyped forward prospect for them now. And they also get Philip Hallander. So they get two pretty good prospects by trading Casper Kapanen back to the Penguins. They also trade away Andreas Johnson to the Devils. They don't re-sign Cody Cece. They don't re-sign Tyson Berry. They're okay with Clifford going elsewhere because they brought in short-term depth and they've got some two pretty good prospects out of the Kapanen trade, which mm-hmm. is good. And this is kind of the movement that we saw a little bit of in the 2019 offseason, obviously the Nazem Kadri trade with Colorado and uh, the big trade with Ottawa that sends Zeit 7, Connor Brown to the Sens. Outside of that, Toronto didn't really do much, but they really tinkered with their roster. Kyle Dubas did a lot of things to address a lot of issues, and I think the Leafs this time around are going to be better than they were last year, but the storyline still remains Freddie Anderson. And the best way you can guarantee good quality hockey from Freddie Anderson deep into the regular season is, hmm, I don't know, have good backups winning games. And they didn't have either last year. It was the same situation the Montreal Canadiens had with Carey Price. They had a chance to win when Freddie Anderson was on the ice. When he wasn't, you were sweating bullets right from the opening face-off because you weren't sure how things are going to turn out. Even if it was against the worst team, nothing was guaranteed. So I don't care if it's Jack Campbell. I don't care if it's Aaron Dell. Whoever is the backup needs to do their job because if they don't, it's going to look bad on the Leafs on multiple occasions and worse yet when it really matters in the playoffs because I think they are still on the cusp of a playoff spot. And they could be much better than a playoff team if everything goes according to plan. But the long-term success of the Leafs hinges on their backup goaltending. Mm -hmm. It hinges on their defense, too. But you need a healthy, rested Freddie Anderson if you want to win those big games. And they haven't had that in the past, and that needs to change. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of storylines going on for Toronto, it's clear. But, um, yeah, that's also going to be a big thing to watch out for, for sure. Um, all right, let's go to the Vancouver Canucks here. Uh, they did actually make a surprise um, run in the playoffs this year, uh, although they did get defeated by the um, the Dallas Stars. Um, nope. Oh, no. Nope. They got beat by Vegas, who got beat by Dallas. And they almost beat Vegas because Thatcher Demko. Oh, right, right. I thought, for some reason, I thought Demko beat Vegas, but you're right. 
It's the other way yeah, around. Yeah, Demko did beat Vegas uh, in Game 6 for sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think in Game 5, too. You're right, you're And right. it was yeah. very close in Game 7. But, yeah, but yeah, he, he could have Dallas's number this year, too. You never it's know. It's possible, yeah. Actually, no, because Dallas isn't in the same division. No, 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 right. no, yeah. Anyways, uh, so uh, they do, even though the Demko did, was... Very good. Uh, they do ship out Jacob, Jack, Jacob Markstrom, um, but they get Braden Holpe. So Demko, it isn't officially Demko's net, but we'll see for that uh, there. They also add Nate Schmidt. Um, and then in terms of subtractions, uh, Markstrom I just mentioned, uh, there's also Tyler Toffoli, who they lose, um, who they just, you know, they gave up Tyler Madden for. Um, so in that trade, in trade deadline, so that's probably a loss for them because they didn't manage to sign Tyler Toffoli. Um, but even still, they're in pretty good shape because, you know, they have, uh, uh, both, uh, Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser, who are all Calder Trophy candidates, or for Pettersson's case, he did win the Calder that year, so... Um, so yeah, they're in still pretty good shape for that. So what's your, what's your storyline for Vancouver? So, uh, on top of uh, getting Braden Holpe and the Seattle expansion draft, as I mentioned, played a role into this because I think Markstrom wanted term and he wanted dollars and they gave Holpe a bit of a lower cap hit than when he was getting Washington, but they only gave him two years, probably thinking we protect Demko because, if we don't protect him, Seattle could just very well snatch him right, right from under our noses. So if we put Holpe out there, if he's taken that, whatever, um, uh, at least we protect Demko. And I think it'd be tougher to protect Demko if Markstrom was still in the fold. So mm-hmm. that might have played into Vancouver's hand there. Nevertheless, they're getting a goalie that's won the Stanley Cup, but unlike Markstrom, coming off a down year, um, but I think... Vancouver's defense is maybe just a little better than Washington's because they have Tyler Myers. Yep. Um, even though they did lose Chris Tanev, um, they did get Nate Schmidt, who was a very fun guy to play on the uh, to have on your team. Um, he's a little bit better offensively than Chris Tanev is, and his all-around defense is is somewhat good as well. So I think his presence uh, made the cap it's. Uh, going to hurt them in a couple of years but for now um that looks to be a pretty good addition there um they also lost deaf guys like josh levo and troy stetcher but they have a fair amount of offensive prospects where they can maybe plug those holes uh, down the road um and there's a lot to look forward to if you're the vancouver canucks last year was very very good jt miller was a big part of their power play their power play was 24.2 percent successful which is good um, this is a team that scored 224 goals, uh, 136 games. Again, very promising considering um, how that Pacific Division was shaping up. Um, that Pacific Division um, had Sorry, hold on. teams <laughs> like San Jose they kind of regressing a little bit. And even then, there was still teams like Edmonton and Calgary somewhat doing well. So it was still a very tough division. You also had Vegas in there. And Vancouver was neck and neck uh, with some of those 
very good teams in the division and some of the very good teams in the Western Conference because of their strong power play. Yep. So the question going in, of course, this year is can they replicate their power play success? Because the power play really drove their offense. Um, I think the other the, the other thing is going to be um, for the Vancouver Canucks, is Thatcher Demko the real deal? Yep. Because they're banking on Thatcher Demko at some point to be better than Braden Holpe, and they're hoping he becomes the next Connor Hellebuck, top 10 goalie every year, Vesna candidate uh, some years as well, and the guy they can rely on moving forward when they're in the playoffs. So um, it's going to be a big year for Thatcher Demko, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities to prove it. Yeah, the thing with Demko is is that, yeah, he was amazing during the playoffs, but uh, during the season, he wasn't so good. He had, uh, in 27 games, he had a 3.06 GAA and a save percentage of uh, 9.05, um, and that's not going to cut it for a starter role. So, um, But, like, in the playoffs, he was phenomenal. So, like, he might be one of those classic goalies that are good in short stints, but when he when you give him more time in his stuff, he's he's just going to falter. And um, so I, I, I do, as much as I love Thatcher Demko, he is a BC boy, but I don't think he he's going to do enough this year to warrant being a starter uh, full-time. Because he's not as good as he was in the playoffs. It's just not sustainable. Um, so Well, true, but uh, to, to that end, I will counter with... Uh, Cam Talbot was struggling against Dallas. David Riddick comes in, very suspect goal goes in, and he gets pulled out of the game, I'm pretty sure, before it's all said and done and Dallas has eliminated Calgary from the playoffs. Thatcher Demko goes in pretty much ice cold against Vegas, and he does that. So I think... In terms, it's not easy to prepare for that kind of situation. I don't know how you can prepare for that situation where Marstrom gets hurt. You barely played. You're going up against Vegas and that red hot offense, and just the pace that they play at. It's not easy to keep up. And Demko almost single handedly beat Vegas. So, I, I definitely think the potential is there for sure. He's shown it, but just consistently, I think if he can build off of that massive playoff run sure he won't put up the numbers that he did in a massive playoff run but if he can play even remotely close to that Vancouver's laughing to the bank and they have a very good chance of contending for the title I really do believe if Demko has a big year they could contend for this division yeah that's where I disagree with you I I feel like yeah no I it was impressive what he was able to do in the playoffs but um I just don't think it's sustainable at all like uh it's just like i i've seen him enough over the regular season where i'm like i don't think he has what it takes it's um it's not it's not worth it so we'll see i mean i guess we'll see but i don't think uh he's going to be um as good as he was in the playoffs um all right then our last team here for Winnipeg, uh, for Winnipeg, for the division, is Winnipeg, uh, which is my team here. Um, so they uh, they actually didn't do as much this year as they did last offseason, but they did add Paul Stasny, which was a guy that they just got back 
um, a couple of years ago, but, um, yeah, so he was like, they've been looking for a, a, a second line center for a while now. And, uh, they, you know, they tried Kevin Hayes, they tried like Cody Eakin even, um, and none of it was working, but, um, <laughs> they've just been looking for this guy that Paul Snazny was when he was there. So, uh, maybe he will be the guy, um, again. And I remember Patrick Laine was like a 40 goal scorer when they get Paul Snazny there. Um, in terms of subtractions, there's Dmitry Kulikov um, and Cody Egan, as I just mentioned. Um, and then in terms of storylines, um, it's been rumored for a while that we even, like, even Steve in our draft contention said that uh, they were going to trade Patrick Laine, so they're going to be looking for a right winger in this draft. And so you thought that was actually going to happen, which it, instead they pick uh, Cole Perfetti, um, but, you know, so they didn't end up doing that. Um, so I am curious to know how this will affect um, the team overall and Patrick Liney now that it's like they're now that it's like clear that Patrick Liney may not be on the team for much longer. Um, he's obviously a very, very good player. Um, and, you know, he does have his shortcomings, of course, but um, he's also had, like, uh, 63 points in 68 games. Um, but on the other end, you know, they also have Kyle Connor, They have uh, Mark Scheifele, Nikolai Ehlers, uh, Blake, Blake Wheeler, of course. So um, they can afford to trade Patrick Laine and, and shore up their defensive side of things because they still haven't addressed that yet. Um, and, of course, I can't even forget to mention Connor Hellebuck, but, like, it doesn't make sense to me to trade Patrick Laine, but if you're going to do it, you have to make sure it's worth a ton of, uh, ton in return, because you can only trade Patrick Laine once, because you're not getting him back once you do that, um, and I, I don't think they should, but I am curious how this is going to affect Laine's brain, in a sense, because, you know, he... He didn't have a great season um, two years ago, and then he bounces back this year. Um, so now I'm curious to see which Patrick Lining are we going to actually see um, and um, and how that will affect the rest of the team and the management of that as well. Um, and, of course, Patrick Lining is going to be an RFA next year too, so uh, that's also something to consider as well, is that like he's now on his contract year again. Um, and we'll see how he does. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Jets would have to make the qualifying offer to Patrick Lennon because he's an RFA. Yeah. I believe that qualifying offer is going to be over $6 million, So Probably. In a cash-strapped year where the cap isn't going up or down, yeah. time's kind of ticking on what they're going to do with him. So... In my opinion, I don't think Patrick Laine's performance is going to dictate his future in Winnipeg. I think the external forces are going to dictate that. The external forces being, can they overcome their gaping holes on defense? They were able to do so for the most part because Connor Hellebuck was an absolute yep. savage. But on top of not having Sherratt and Myers and Bufflin and Truba, Dmitry Kulikov is now gone. Anthony Boteto headed elsewhere. So 
they still have some holes to fill. Sure, they'll have Vinny Hainola coming up, maybe Sam Naiku. Um, is going to get his first big chance to make it big in the pros. At the end of the day, yeah, they get Tarek Forbert to to help out too on the back end. It's still, outside of Josh Morrissey, um, not really looking promising. Sure, they have Dylan DeMello too, but like... Neil Pionk too. Who, who, sorry? Pionk, Neil Pionk. Oh yeah, Neil Pionk too, who had a great year. But even still... Like, the amount of shutdown defense that the Jets have to work with, yep. it's not really that vast. So I think if it really becomes apparent that they need help on defense, if Patrick Lyon is performing very, very well, they can get more for him. Yeah. So I I don't think, again... If Patrick Laine is playing well, he could be trade bait. If he's not playing well, he's definitely trade bait. So, and especially with Cole Perfetti coming into the fold in a couple of years, too, at some point or another, I just feel that a very talented winger is the odd man out, and all signs at this point appear to Patrick Laine. If it doesn't happen midseason, it'll happen before free agency opens up um, this coming summer. So um, I. It's a shame because Patrick Lyon is a very good player, and I'm sure he likes Winnipeg and likes to play here. But there are just a lot of other factors that lean towards Patrick Lyon not being a part of the Jets beyond this season. And how else they address those defensive voids outside of outside of trading a very talented forward? I don't know how else they can do that. Yep. Um, they had the chance to do it in the off season with cap space and whatnot. They used most of that to get Paul Stastny back, who's on the final year of his contract, like he was the first time he became a Winnipeg Jet. Um, and they also lost Cody Eakin, too. Um, so that's another depth forward uh, gone. And sure, they bring in Nate Thompson and Marco Dano, but is their NHL impact going to be very promising? Again, not quite sure. So there, there are a lot of questions that the Jets have to deal with, and a lot of that is on the back end. And yeah. the questions of how do we solve them are still very relevant as they were a couple of months ago. And not much has changed to like really revamp their defense. So I think the only way that they can make their defense better is by trading a very good forward. And that appears to be Patrick Lane. So we'll wait and see. But we, I fully expect something uh, to happen between now and the summer. See, that's the thing. I don't, I mean, I know, I know what you're saying, and I guess it does make some sort of sense uh, to trade him, but at the same time, I feel like someone as talented as Patrick Laine is, you just don't trade him. It's just like, it's like, it's like trading Eric Carlson or Mark Stone. Like, why would you do it? It, it makes no sense, because like, I feel like there's no way you can win the trade, Um Unless you get, like, a bona fide defenseman, but even still, like, this guy can score at will. It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me, and he's, like, 22 years old. So, I feel like they're not going to do it, um, And but, like, at the same time, like, as much as I just said that, uh, you know, they have Kyle Connor, uh, they have Nikolai Ehlers, like, you could probably... Um, and Kyle Connor's probably better than Patrick Laine is. Nikolai Ehlers, maybe you can trade him there, even though it's probably a bit harder for that because Ehlers is on like a four-year, a five-year contract with six million dollars. So there's not many teams that can take that on. But 
I yeah, don't know. and I also think it's just yeah. gone way too deep with the with the Patrick Line stuff. Yeah. Where like, if you back out now, then all of a sudden you just have this baggage going into um, negotiating a contract. You know, at that point, is yeah. the grapes sour too much, right? So, I I that's will the say thing. I will say though that when you said that, like, is he going to be worth six million? I mean, he's making six point seven right now. So six point seven five. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, I mean, like the fact is, is that he could be making that, they could make it work really, but maybe they just don't have, sign Paul Stasny or they don't sign a couple of these other guys and just wait for Cole Perfetti to be ready or something. Um, so, so they have those options as well, but I, I do get your concerns, but I just, I just, I, I would say I, I would not understand why they would trade him. Having said everything will, they just what said. What I will say is, is if you think Connor Hellebuck can register those video game numbers and the Jets can still get away with it and be in the hunt yeah. for a playoff spot, you got another thing coming. True. I don't think it happens in back-to-back years if you're just playing with fire at that point. So they, Possibly. Connor Hellebuck needs help straight up. He needs defensive Yeah, help. Yeah, but I, I think you can do it in another way of instead of trading Patch, your, your best player like you can you can do better than that you don't have to trade your best player to get help on defense that's my point true and i get the argument that you're not going to win a patrick line trade at yep. the same time the winnipeg jets aren't here to win trades they're here to win cups like every other team well i mean so that... if they think if they think the return for patrick line makes them better gives them a better chance of winning the stanley cup i say do it as hard as it might be I, that's, I don't that's know. The kind of I, tough decision. That's the kind of tough decision Shovel Dayoff's going to have to make this year. I, I still wouldn't do it, but whatever. Um, anyways, <laughs> so that, that gets... Definitely, definitely the most compelling storyline, I would say, out yeah, of the seven. Of course, of course. Uh, so now uh, we... So that's going to officially end our Canadian division here, except now we have to do our top four of our picks here. Um, so I have uh, Edmonton going to be the top team here. Toronto will be the second team. I think Vancouver did just enough um, to be the third team. And I think it's going to be between Calgary and Winnipeg um, as the fourth team. And I think I went with Calgary just because I think Mark Shrim's going to make that much of a difference um, compared to uh, Cam Talbot, who they used to have. Um, and they have another year with this new coach, so maybe they'll um, they'll do better there. But I think Calgary just edges Winnipeg out. Um, yeah. Yeah, for the most part, our, our lists are going to be a little bit similar here. Edmonton's the top team for me. Toronto not far behind in second place. Uh, in third place, I'm going to go with Calgary. And fourth place, I think uh, Winnipeg makes the cut. But... Um, <laughs> I think Montreal and Vancouver are going to be very, very close. Like, this will be a highly contested battleground. Yep. Every game is going to matter a lot. And you know what? Ottawa's going to try. Um, they're going to be far behind compared to everyone else. They're going to try, and I think they're going to be better than a lot of people are going to give them credit for. Um, but, yeah, the all, all six Canadian teams minus Ottawa, it's going to be a very tight race. Um, but if I had to pick four... Edmonton, Toronto, Calgary, Winnipeg, in that order. Yep. All right, let's go to the West Division here. Um, Anaheim. 
uh, is our first team. We're doing this alphabetically, by the way. Um, so, uh, in terms of additions, in additions and subtractions, Anaheim didn't really do much. I guess they did a lot of stuff in the offs, uh, you know, in the trade deadline stuff. You know, they get Danton Heinen. They get um, there was another guy that they got too. Um, oh, Sonny Milano is another one. So. Uh, they did some stuff over the trade deadline, which I guess doesn't really count, but I'll, I'll count it here. Um, they also get Kevin Shattenkirk. Um, that's probably going to help their young defensive stuff while we wait for uh, Drysdale, Jamie Drysdale, to come over. Uh, there's also uh, maybe tre- we see a little bit of Trevor Zegris. He's been lighting it up in the World Juniors, so I added him just because maybe we'll see him, but... It's probably not, because Anaheim would have no reason to, really. Um, but maybe we do see him eventually. Um, and then subtractions, they lose Eric Goodbranson. Um, and yeah, so that's about it. Uh, Anaheim kind of had a disappointing season last year. I mean, they've been bad for the last couple of years, but this was the year where they officially were pretty bad. Um, but they also have... You know, John Gibson, who was pretty good. They get back Ryan Miller for another year. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe things are going to be different. I don't know. But uh, what's your storyline for, for Anaheim? Uh, my storyline for Anaheim is San Jose has better odds of bouncing back and making the playoffs than Anaheim does by far. Um but I'm a big fan of the young pipeline that the Ducks are building, though. Obviously, yep. we mentioned Jamie Drysdale. Um, you have Stan Steele and Maxime Comtois still trying to get better at the pros every single year. Uh, Trevor Segris having a phenomenal world junior so far. Um, he's going to be added to the mix soon. Uh, the future looks very bright for them. Um, but at the end of the day, John Gibson and Brian Miller are still going to be facing a ton of shots unless the team defense improves. And has to improve very soon. That's going to be the big task for Dallas Eakins to work on is get his squad committed to that game plan as soon as humanly possible. Uh, but turning back to their offense, one of the reasons why Anaheim struggles is shots on goal. And they just need to get pucks to the net. I don't care if it's a work of art. Just get pucks to the net. Get bodies in front. Become a tougher team to contain offensively every single night. If you look at... If you look at um, the special teams for the Anaheim Ducks. It's honestly just as bad as the Sens. Yeah. 14.7% success rate on the power play. They killed off 77% of their penalties. That's just not going to cut it. Yep. Uh, even in that tough Pacific division, they're going to be in a very tough West division with St. Louis and Vegas and Colorado. They're just going to get eaten alive by those teams. So the special teams really has to improve. That's going to have to be their big area um, where they have to improve on. Otherwise, it's going to be another tough trying year for the Ducks. And I expect them to try to be better. But um, I think their record last year, just hovering around 500, but not really taking – any big strides in the standings. I think that's what they're going to be. Last year, they were 29-33-9, which isn't bad. But when you look at the numbers, you can tell why they didn't make the playoffs. Mm. They gave up too many goals. They didn't score enough. Their power play wasn't good. Their penalty kill wasn't good. And they relied on John Gibson and Ryan Miller far too often. So 
Uh, a lot needs to change, and I think improving on their special teams is going to go a long way for them. But I don't know if they're going to do it this year, but down the road they definitely have to. Yeah, they do have a, like a lot of good players in their pipeline, um, as Trevor Zegris, Maxime Contois, um, Sam Steele as well, uh, Troy Terry. Um, so I'm, I'm more curious about those guys than um, like watching them win games. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think if they have like, if, if all, any four of those guys that I just mentioned have like great seasons or even good seasons, um, I th- I would consider this season a success for the Ducks. Um, and I'm also curious about like this is like Dallas Eakins' second NHL team, and uh, he hasn't been good uh, for either time. He seems to be like a great AHL coach, but not a good NHL coach. So um, I feel like there there may be a coaching change coming soon, um, but maybe not this year. But I think next year is when they'll take another step to to being uh, a contending team. Yeah, um, it depends yeah. on uh, the names that are available, but I definitely yeah. think uh, there isn't a name that sticks out to me where I think they are a good fit for the Ducks, but I fully expect that to change because I do yeah. think there's still going to be the same amount of coaching movement to an extent uh, compared to previous seasons because at the for end sure. of the day, all 31 teams still want to win. And yep. They won't be afraid to make a coaching change if they think it makes a, the team better in the long run. So. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I guess it's just a wait-and-see process for sure. All right, let's go to Arizona. Speaking of coaching changes, <laughs> they changed everything pretty much. Uh, John Chaka leaves uh, because you know they were essentially screwed by Chaka. Um, apparently he, taked, he took another meeting from another team and then something didn't happen, and it was just a bad divorce from Arizona and Chaka. Uh, they also didn't have a pick till the fourth round, and then they picked another guy who uh, we <laughs> devoted a whole series to, um, or a whole episode to, and uh, that did not go out well for them either. So this whole draft year was kind of a wash, too. And on top of everything, they also lose out on Taylor Hall. They don't sign him. Um, and they they do get a second-round pick from Derek Stepan. Uh, they miss out on Carl Soderberg. Uh, they don't have Vinny Hinestroza either. Um, but they do get a new GM in Bill Armstrong. Uh, so that's exciting. Um, and they also get a Drake Kajula. Of course, that's not going to, you know, replace Taylor Hall. But um, he's a de- decent depth role for them for sure. So that could definitely be interesting for them. But um, for my storyline here is that Arizona, as I mentioned, Arizona was essentially screwed by John Chaka, um, but they did manage to win a series um, to get to the the actual playoffs um, in the bubble. So now that they don't have Hall, um, will Arizona completely falter this year or not? Um, I mean, they still have, hopefully if if Darcy Kemper can play the full year and Antti Ranta can also play the full year, they have a good shot because, you know, when, people forget that when Darcy Kemper was playing, Arizona was one of the hottest teams in the league uh, just because Darcy Kemper was playing at a Vezina level there. But, um, but once he got injured, then all hell broke loose and Arizona wasn't as good. 
Then they go out and try to get Taylor Hall, and although Taylor Hall wasn't bad for Arizona, it was kind of disappointing for them in the long run because they weren't really contenders, and if it wasn't for the bubble, they wouldn't even been in the playoffs um, at the moment. So that's something to consider for sure, but I guess a bigger thing is is that you know their offense is terrible. Um, I mean, Nick Schmaltz, who is their best point getter, um, he had 45 points in 70 games, so that's not great. Uh, Clayton Keller, who was decent a couple years ago, but now has also faltered. He has 44 points in 70 games. Uh, Connor Garland kind of had a breakout year this year, but uh, still 39 points in the 68 games, not great. Um, Phil Kessel kind of took a down year. Um, Christian Dvorak also took a down year. Carl Soderberg took a down year. So um, a lot of these players had down years, offensively speaking. Um, and I'm not sure if the offense will ever pick back up because it feels like just pucks die in the desert. I think that's going to be our new saying here. It's like, it's just, so, like, it feels like Arizona's never been a high-scoring team. Um, and it was very evident this year. And I don't think it's going to pick up this year. Um, at the same time, maybe they don't even need to because they can win games one nothing when you have Darcy Kemper playing like he has been. Um, and Angie Ranta has been playing pretty well, too. So um, I think they rely more on their goaltending and their defense which is, you know, to be fair, is pretty good, but um, they don't necessarily have the greatest um, record on the offensive side of things. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing that's going to look good in Arizona is the Kachina jerseys this year. Um, yeah, those are going to be nice. Like if, if you look at, obviously, Bill Armstrong's a huge addition as GM. I think he's going to do a good job with that team. Uh, they also bring in Drake Kajula, uh, Marcus Anakainen, Johan Larson, Dryden Hunt, uh, Tyler Pitlick, and John Hayden. That's kind of underwhelming considering you lose Taylor Hall to free agency, you trade Derek Stefan to a rebuilding team, you lose Carl Soderberg in free agency to a rebuilding team, uh, you buy out Mikhail Grabner, then Vinny Hennestros, at least for Florida, and Brad Richardson decides, I'm going to go to the Music City now, and now he's with the Predators. Um, and before all that, of course, John Chega bailed. Um, I don't care if this team has Ekman Larson still as their team captain, and on this roster period, they might have a solid tandem in Darcy Kemper and Nancy Ranta between the pipes. This team will regress and regress hard um i foresee a significant tumble down the standings i think they'll be a bottom three team in i think they'll be a bottom five team in the league yeah as, well, as much as i hate to say it, they'll be a bottom five team in the league and i think the storyline is gonna be what is bill armstrong's vision for this team mm -hmm. and how is he going to prioritize the future and the present of the coyotes franchise they are not a solid contender anymore and I don't care really what they do this year. What's their plan moving forward? And what do they see? Like their penalty kill, 82.7% successful. That's great. Their power play, 19.2% success rate. Great. Their goal differential, despite scoring 190 goals, plus seven. Not bad. They had 33 wins last year. Again, not bad. Considering they 
were banged up with injuries and a bunch of different things were, were happening and they still find a way to get into the play-in, although by the skin of their teeth, they still get in and they beat Nashville. But a lot of that, a lot of that was Darcy Kemper and Nancy Ranta. And I just don't think their goaltending is going to hold up for a full season, even if both goalies are fully healthy. It's just going to catch up to them, and it's not going to be a great year for Arizona. I'm sorry. I, I, I wish that the luck would just turn around for this franchise and it would stay good for years to in years to come and i really thought it was going in that direction but ever since john chaka left it's just been a downward spiral and bad thing after bad thing has happened and i don't think the pain is going to end i think it's just going to keep going so yeah yeah. arizona I, i i wish i wish um things are going to turn around and i hope i'm wrong it it just doesn't look good for you I won't go as far to say that they're going to be a bottom five team, but I don't have them in the playoffs. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Um, they're not in the top four. Yeah, they're they're yeah not they're the not in the top four, four, but I I don't have them in the bottom five. They'll probably, I mean, I, I think they'll be at bottom ten. I I can say that, but I don't think bottom yeah. five just yet. Because uh, I I still think Darcy Kemper and Antti Ranta will win a couple of games that they shouldn't. So I I still think that they'll they'll do that. And they're in a weaker division, um, more or less. So I feel like they'll win games that they shouldn't win. But, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they're. I agree with you that they're not in the right path, for sure. Um, and and yeah. again, like like I said, the the other reason I I mentioned the Bill Armstrong thing is like, Anti Ranta is going to be UFA after this year. Kemper is going to be a UFA in twenty twenty two. Yeah. And as good as they are, as good as Oliver Ekman Larson is, again, this is where you've got to look at the future because they gave up a lot for Taylor Hall and they're going to be without, I can't remember if it's a first or a second this year. It was, it was first and it, it was first one year and a second one year. Yep. Um, but um, to say the least, no, no, it's a second this year because the yeah. Devils uh, drafted someone uh, in the first round this year. Right. Even uh, regardless, they gave up a lot for Taylor Hall, and they need to recoup some assets. Yeah. So I think if Kemper and Ranta have strong years, I think I would strongly consider trading them to get some futures back. And again, it's it's focusing and prioritizing the future and who's a part of it. Yeah. Because you need to get better. And in order to get better, you need draft picks. And they traded away a lot of those future assets for that one year of Taylor Hall and for other pieces too. Yep. So you need to find a way to get better in that department. So there's going to be one or two significant trades involving the Coyotes. Uh, I, I would say not, uh, Derek Stefan isn't one of them. Like there's going to be one or two other notable trades yep. that you're going to see throughout the year involving Arizona. And it'll I will, be a pl- it will be a big part of their team going uh, the other way. So, so I just checked. Arizona doesn't have their first round pick, but it's not because they didn't trade them. It was it's forfeited due to that combine testing thing uh, that they violated. Oh so. yeah, that right, right, that thing. I yeah, forgot yeah. about that thing. Yeah. So they still have yeah, their like bad, bad yeah. news. Yeah, coming, coming in waves. Yeah, before t- before Chica left, that was exactly yeah. So, uh, but they they did trade step on, but they <laughs> so they'll have a second round pick, which is Columbus's. But 
They they also so have their be own. Middle, that'll be middle to late second round because I don't expect Columbus to be that bad. Yeah, they might be bad, but I I agree it, it's not great for them. They won't be as worse as Ottawa will. So yeah, that's or I mean it'll be they'll do better than Arizona Columbus, but yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Colorado is our next team here. Um, so they added uh, Brandon Saad, if you remember that Nikita Zadorov yep. Brandon Saad mm-hmm. trade. Uh, they also added um, Devin Tays, um, not the other Tays. Um, and then I also added here Bowen Byram because there is a chance that we might see him, but maybe not because they're they're pretty good on defensive side of things because they have Eric Johnson, Samuel Gerrard, of course, Kill McCarr, and Ryan Graves. But um, when you add Devin Tays and then you also add Bowen Byram, that's that's a pretty that's a pretty nice uh, six defenseman there you have. So um, so they, we may not see Byram for another year. That's also possible, too. But I decided to add him because there's a chance. Um, and then in terms of subtractions, uh, Nikita Zadorov. Um, and then they also don't have uh, Nemisnikov, although they didn't really have, like, he didn't really play too much when he was in uh, Colorado. But... At the same time, when you have guys like Nathan McKinnon, Mika Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, um, and Andre Burkowski, who had a breakout year this year, um, they're kind of in pretty good shape. Um, of course, you also have like Philip Grubauer and Pavel Frankus, um, and you don't know with those two, but um, but yeah, they're they're in pretty good uh, shape for the long haul. Yeah, so this is what makes Colorado so good is that consistently for the past two, three, four years, more like three to four, mm-hmm. and I mentioned on the podcast before, their power play is one of the most tested in the entire league, and it's because they draw penalties very, very well, and they do it a lot. Um, they were 19.1% successful in the power play last year. Compared to Vancouver, compared to Edmonton, to have a power play – with Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and Kale McCarr uh, and Miko Rantanen to have a power play that lethal and be less than 20% says everything you need to know about how dangerous this Colorado team is. They can beat you in any situation mm. uh, if you let your guard down. Uh, and 40 wins, uh, only 20 regulation losses. They had eight overtime shootout losses, so... That's a total of 92 points in 70 games, um, 236 goals scored. And this was a team that battled through a lot of injuries. And a lot of their key players, Rantanen uh, being one name, um, Grubauer being another, um, they went through a lot of injuries and were still a very, very, very good team. And the only notable subtractions this year, Vlasilov Nemestikov, Matt Nieto, and Nikita Zadorov. So if that's all you lost, you're able to keep guys like Nachushkin and Burakovsky on board. You're able to add Devin Tays and Brandon Saad. And you still have a lot of your depth forwards like Nazem Kadri still in the mix. And the usual superstars. Um, man, you've got yourself a team that can stack up with pretty much anyone in the league. Uh, the main storyline for me, and I mentioned it heading into the playoffs heading into the offseason was between the pipes. And there are a lot of UFA goalies in 2021. 
Freddie Anderson's available, Jordan Bennington's available, Tuka Rask is available, Antti Ranta is available. That's just to name a few. And Colorado has the resources in terms of draft picks, in terms of prospects, to, I think, in a trade, land a very good goalie. If they think they have a real shot to go all in this year and win the Stanley Cup, I think if Grubauer's kind of either not healthy or maybe not performing to the level they think he could, I can definitely see a situation where he becomes expendable and the Avalanche make a big splash to acquire a top goalie in the league. I can definitely see it happening. Um, it could be a mid-season thing, uh, closer to the trade deadline uh, on April 12th. But um, if the stars align, watch their goaltending situation because it was pretty good last year. I think it could be even better if they make a big splash because offensively, defensively, I think they're set. The only question I have for them is goaltending. Yeah, I I would say that's true too. I think their big factor is goaltending. Although um, Pavel Frankus hasn't been bad, and uh, Grubauer is fine, but you know he needs to be healthy, um, and he hasn't been doing that lately. So I'm not sure about that. But um, yeah, the uh, it, it, I think that's probably their weakest link for sure. And I agree with your assessment of Colorado. Um. Okay, so now the next team here we have is Los, the Los Angeles Kings. Um, so they add uh, Leah Anderson, Olimata. They just got Andreas Athanasiu. Um, and then I also added, <laughs> I put asterisks on Quinton Byfield, who they drafted second overall. I also uh, asterisked uh, Turcott, um, Alex Turcott, because I feel like both Byfield and Turcotte we might see this year, um, but at the same time, it may not. Like, since Los Angeles is going to be rebuilding, I don't think it necessarily makes sense to have both those guys. But um, at the same time, you kind of want to see how they can, like, you want to give them experience to see how they play. So maybe they'll get the first, I think it's seven games instead of nine games before they have to... Um, uh, 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 oh, ruin for a the year entry level something. slide, you mean yeah. to lose a year of your entry level? I think it's actually six. Oh, is it six? So maybe Which we'll see. Oh, yeah. so, so maybe we'll see them play for you know five games, the first five games, and then mm-hmm. uh, we don't see them again. But um, I'm kind of curious to see how they do. Um, but I think for this year, because like the Kings, like you know the Ducks and Arizona, they're not going to be good this year, but. Um, but I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they do during this rebuild. And like, so I'm going to be curious to see if we do see Quinn and Byfield, if we do see Alex Turcotte, maybe we see Tyler Madden, or maybe we, I, we're definitely going to see Gabriel Velarde. Um, so like, like, how are they going to do? And, you know, I think this season, like, of course, they're probably going to lose a lot of games, but I think it's going to be more important to see how they they do when, like, how do they battle through adversity, um, especially those young guys, because uh, that can kind of make or break their future. If they, like, start to play worse than they have, like, they're not, you know, maybe they're not going to be cut up 
in the NHL, um, and may, but maybe there's a chance that they'll be like a Brady Kachuk, where all of a sudden they're really good right away and they don't even need seasoning in the AHL or something like that. So I'll be curious to see how those guys do in particular, um, and maybe even like Leas Anderson and all that stuff, but I think like I could go over how like their defense isn't good and their goaltending isn't good, but we already know that. Uh, so I, I think I'm more curious to see like the bright side of it all is like the future of the Kings and how Byfield, Turcotte, and Madden and Velarde in particular, because those are like their four best players in the future, um, and how they're they're going to interact with each other. And I hope it's going to be well because it'd be kind of cool to have LA be good again, but. Um, it's, it's something that we have to to see for ourselves eventually. I like how you mentioned all those prospects, and yeah. you forget Arthur Kaliev. Oh, yeah, Kaliev. Also a Kings one. prospect. Although, well, the thing and he's with, been a monster in the away yeah. the past few years. So. The thing with Kaliev is, is I'm not sure if we'll see um, him this year, so that's why I didn't yeah, mention him. Yeah, true. Yeah, but... But, um, yeah, for sure. The, uh, again, speaking of prospects, like you have um, names like Tobias Bjornfoot and yeah, Arthur Kaliev in the mix, too, moving forward. Like, that's huge. And, you know, yeah, trading, I, I, <laughs> I find it funny when the noticeable subtraction is Brad Morrison because that's all you had to trade to get Oli Mata to play for you. Right. Um, I, I think he could be a pretty serviceable defense for Leah Sandman could be, I think, a very motivated, inspired prospect now that he's out with of the Rangers organization and with a fresh start. I think he could do some things. And let's not forget the Andreas Athanasiu acquisition they just made. Cheap one-year deal, $1.2 million, ranked second in rush scoring chances at even strength last year. McDavid had 80. Athanasiu had three more. He had 83. McKinnon led the NHL with 94. So... He's very, very quick, very, very fast, and definitely adds a new dimension to their forward group, but still not that much better of a hockey team with that acquisition. And a big part of that um, promising future is the names like Alex Turcotte and Quentin Byfield that we haven't really seen play at the NHL level. Um, So their progress is is going to be critical this year. Their special teams, their power play, not very good. Their goal scoring, 177 goals, not very good. Um, but they were still 29, 35, and 6 last year, which isn't great, but it isn't terrible either. Um, so it'll be interesting, like you said, Brett, to see how they stack up with everyone else in the West Division. I think the storyline that I would be looking for is Cal Peterson. Yeah. Because – I think Jonathan Quick is on the downturn. They need to see if they have a goalie of the future in Cal Peterson. And I'm going to make a bold statement. I think Cal Peterson's going to start more games than Jonathan Quick does this year. Yeah, I could see because that. Because they, they need to see what they have in him. Yeah, that's. I mean, that kind of goes in with my storyline, too, is just see how these young guys do. And that includes the goaltending, too. So Cal Peterson uh, could be interesting, too. And I don't think L.A. has too many goaltenders in their system anyway, so... Maybe they believe that Cal Peterson is the guy, so that's definitely possible. Um, all right, uh, let's go to Minnesota here. Um, they're another team that's kind of in rebuilding mode, but also kind of not. 
um, it feels like. Uh, well, first off, they're going to get Kirill Kaprizov. This might be his return. I don't think it's official yet, but it seems very likely that he's going to be in Minnesota this year. Um, they also get Nick Bukestad. They get Nick Benino as well. Um, Marcus Johansson. And they also get Cam Talbot. Um, I also added Mark R- Marco Rossi here because there is a chance, however small, that he might play this year uh, for Minnesota. But I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen. We'll see. Because um, Marco Rossi's in the w- weird uh, stage where he's too good to be in the OHL, but he's not ready yet for the NHL. So maybe they'll just put him in the AHL um, and wait for him there. But We'll see. Um, in terms of subtractions, we have Eric Stahl. Uh, they lose uh, Luke Kunin. Uh, Ryan Donato is also gone. Devin Dubnik. Uh, Miko Koivu and Alex Galchenyuk also go. Uh, so um, I expect like Minnesota will probably be a lot like L.A. and Anaheim um, and Arizona where they're just, <laughs> um, they're just trying to get by uh, this year. But... Um, how how do you think Minnesota is going to do, Steve? And what's your storyline? I think they're going to be middle of the pack, honestly. Like yep. their penalty kill only killed off seventy seven point two percent of penalties, but they were over twenty one percent successful in the power play. They gave up two hundred seventeen goals, but scored two hundred eighteen for a team that was pretty open. That you know things were kind of going on the downward, and they were going to rejig some stuff. Um, they still went 35, 27, and 7, were knocking on the door of a playoff spot when the pandemic came around and the play was halted. They were like one or two points out or something like this. And the race in the Western Conference was very, very tight. So, honestly, they're not as bad as some people might think they are. And with the additions of Kirill Kaprizov and Marco Rossi, um, I definitely think that helps them. Obviously, losing Eric Stahl, that's um, a, a big blow to um, their their top six. Also, like their number one, number two center position, that leaves a big hole there. And losing guys like Donato and Koivu, also pretty noticeable. Uh, but they do have a bit of promise in Nick Bukestad. Nick Benino is a good two-way guy. I'm not really sure he helps out the power play, but... He's, he's a pretty good two-way guy, and there's Marcus Johansson, too. Cam Talbot could be a valuable addition there. What I'm really seeing is Kevin Fiala. Are we going to see the first half Kevin Fiala where he's you know pretty good, but do we see the second half Kevin Fiala that was an absolute monster on skates? Because yeah. he really evolved his game in the second half, and now you add guys like Kirill Kaprizov and Marco Rossi to the fold. Um, how is his play going to be impacted with the addition of those two guys is he going to get even better this year so i think the storyline is what version of kevin fiala are we going to see and could he be even better than he was last year because uh, there was a lot that i liked about his game yeah it seems like fiala finally started to figure things out towards the end there but um yeah we'll see if i guess the question now is 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 it sustainable for the full year can he just do it from now on? And, and that's something we're not sure of. But we are at least sure that we know what he's capable of. And that is an interesting storyline for sure. Um, okay, uh, let's go to San Jose here. Um, they 
I mean, they didn't make a ton of moves, but they also made, like, interesting moves, I guess, so to speak. Uh, they added uh, Ryan Donato. They also added Devin Dumnik, who we just talked about, in Minnesota. Um, and they also bring back Patrick Marlowe. Um, and then in terms of subtractions, they get, uh, they don't have Aaron Dell. They don't have Joe Thornton. And both of them are going to Toronto. Um, so that's definitely interesting from that perspective. Uh, San Jose was an interesting team last year. Um because, you know, the year before that, they make the conference finals. Um, and then this year, they have, like, their worst start in franchise history, or their worst season in franchise history. I think a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it had to do with Martin Jones not being up to snuff. Um, also, guys like Logan Couture, Th- Thomas Hurdle, Eric Carlson um, were injured for long periods of time. Um, and then everything just fell flat after that. So... I think that's going to be a big storyline for the Sharks here is, like, can they bounce back? Can they right this ship? Um, will Devin Dubnik be the guy, the missing piece that they've been missing for the last two years that Martin Jones can't be? Um, and, like, will Eric Carlson go back to being what we're used to him being in, um, you know, when he was on the Ottawa Senators? Uh, can Brent Burn go? Brent Burns be one of the more fearsome defensemen in the league? Uh, what about Thomas Hurdle? Will he'll be back? Like, will he be fully healthy? Will Logan Couture be fully healthy? Um, and like, how are they? You know, like, what kind of Sharks team are we actually going to be seeing? Are we going to be seeing the team that made the conference finals two years ago, or are we going to see one of the worst teams in the league? last year um like it's just a Jekyll they're very much a Jekyll and Hyde team um and uh yeah I'll be curious to see how they do um I guess the good news is is that they don't they have their first round pick so even if they do slide even more and we see more of what they were last year than they were two years ago um you know they have their first round pick so at least they'll get some prospects or a prospect from that but uh, otherwise, they're, um, yeah, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how they do. I, I tend to believe that I think they're, they're going to benefit a bit from being in a weaker division. It's pretty much Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis are pretty much the only contending teams there in this division. Um, so I tend to believe that I think San Jose can right the ship, assuming everyone's healthy, um, and De- Devin Dubnik didn't have a great year last year, but it was better than Martin Jones. So I think uh, it could it could help matters for them uh, to have someone like Dubnik there, and um, maybe maybe it will help. But we'll see. But it, I could also see it like falling flat on their face, where they're going to be one of the worst teams again. The San Jose Sharks are a very interesting team because yep. they gifted the Sens third overall Yep. Tim Tetzla. That team killed off 85.7% of their penalties. One of the best penalty-killing teams in the league. Yet, they gave up 225 goals, only scored 180, were riddled by injuries, went 29, 36, and 5, and scored 
or sorry, not score, converted on 17.5% of their power play attempts. So their power play was terrible. Their goal scoring was terrible. Their goals against was terrible. Their record was below 500. And yet they killed off almost 86% of their penalties all year. Yeah. This is the sign that Doug Wilson thinks this could be a one-off. And that's why... Outside of Ryan Donato and Devin Dubnik, he didn't really add anybody. Outside of Aaron Dell and Joe Thornton going to the lease, didn't subtract anybody. They lost Brandon Davidson, Anthony Greco, and Johnny Brzezinski. But, like, those guys are, like, minor league guys that you would call up into the NHL for the most part for the odd time. And they have a head coach now. Bob Bugner, interim tag is removed. He's their guy. Yep. Is all of it going to make a difference? Tough to say because this division is very, very tough. You have St. Louis, you have Colorado to go through. There are a lot of good teams, and only the top four make the playoffs. There are no wild card spots. Only the top four in your division get in. And the fear is that age is already catching up to guys like Logan Couture, Devin Dubnik, and Martin Jones, you could argue as well. Even though I would argue that Dubnik is um, is a better security net than Aaron Dell, even though Aaron Dell did play respectably well, how this team is able to kill off penalties so well. And yet in four and four situations and five on five situations, they're just sitting ducks. I, I, for the life of me, I can't comprehend it. And I don't think they had, I'm not, I, I'm going to be careful with my words here because it'll sound like they didn't try they didn't try hard enough. I'm sure they did try. But there were teams like Arizona that went through a lot, but throughout some tough times, they were able to grind it out and and somehow get results. And the results just weren't coming for the San Jose Sharks because they were banged up. But I think they need to have a very pissed-off work ethic because when you – go into the playoffs and you're able to make the conference finals, you think we can do it again this year. But sometimes the work ethic isn't up to par with some of the other teams. And maybe they were trying, but the other team was trying a little bit harder and it reflected in the score line and they came up a goal or two short. San Jose needs to flip that switch and play pissed off and they can't stop. They need to play pissed off hockey the full 56 games and go into the playoffs absolutely angry and motivated to show to everyone that last year was a fluke. And if they don't do that, I think you're going to see more of the same. You're going to see more of the same regression. And then at that point, changes are going to happen. Um, because Doug Wilson still has faith in this team. I think this team still has faith in each other. Uh, I think Timo Meyer could bounce back. I think Kevin LeBan yeah. can bounce back. I think all of them can. But in order for this team to be right up there in the top four, they need to play pissed off hockey from start to finish. Yeah. And I don't think we saw enough of that last year, and that's why they didn't do so well. Yeah, I think the injuries really hurt them last year. So I feel like, um, so that's where I feel like I'm more optimistic. Where like, okay, if guys are healthy, then eventually they'll be better than they were last year. But yeah, you might be onto something that they also have a bunch of old guys on their team too. So um, maybe that will have an effect on on their team as well. So I don't know. Um, yeah, we'll see. I guess it's they're probably one of the more interesting teams in the league. I, I think um, just because they're so they could be one of the like the bottom five teams, and they could also be like top five. 
Um, maybe. So um, there's kind of like no in-between with them. Um, all right, let's go with, for, on that note, let's go with St. Louis here. Um, so they they actually had a pretty big offseason here. Uh, so they they add a Tory Krug, um, and then this week they PTO uh, Mike Hoffman. And you're probably wondering, like, well, wait, Mike Hoffman? Are you talking about the, like the the most targeted free, uh, free agent for a while now? Um, they PTO him. Like, how how the low have fallen or the high have, mighty have fallen? I guess it's the saying. Uh, well, the answer to that is because. Alex Steen uh, retired, and they're going to put him on LTIR, like, unofficially. So they have that. Um, also, Vladimir Tarasenko isn't ready just yet, so they're going to uh, put him on LTIR. Um, and I think uh, Doug Armstrong said that they're going to put him... Uh, they're, they're PTOing him because they want... They're going to eventually sign him. They're just waiting to put Tarasenko and Steen on LTIR so that they can afford to pay Mike Hoffman. We just don't know the contract just yet. So it's like a, a wink-wink, nudge-nudge type deal for them because they're, they are going to sign him. Um, just um, They want him to practice with the team um, it before they can officially sign It should also be noted that Vince still doesn't him. have a contract because he's an yeah. RFA, so they still have to pay him as well. So yeah. I think... Mike Hoffman's payday is also going to be determined by what they get Vince done if they keep him around. Yeah, that's that's a good point too. Um, yeah, the interesting th- so they so they get a lot of those like they get like the two prize possessions um, or two of the more prize possessions in um, this off season. Um, but you know they do lose Alex Petrangelo. They do lose Jake Allen. And I would venture to guess that they still have to make some moves in order for, like, Terrace. Like, I would imagine Tarasenko will see Tarasenko this year. Um, so, eventually, when Tarasenko does, is allowed to play, they're going to have to make some moves to allow him to play again. Um, or they're going to have to figure something out. So, I don't think they're ex- exactly done just yet. Um, maybe we'll see another move maybe this week. Um um, in order to, to get them on in the fold. But, um, yeah, so what is your storyline here, St. Uh, Steve? Uh, they kind of had a disappointing end to everything, but they did win the Central Division last year, so there's that. Yeah, so the interesting thing about the St. Louis Blues um, is I, I'm not going to question their leadership too, too much because... I know Alex Petrangelo, and and I'll get to Alex Petrangelo in a bit. Ryan O'Reilly is their next captain. And I think he has the leadership capabilities to an extent that Petrangelo does. Which, by the way, uh, Buffalo Sabres, that trade keeps getting better with age. And by age, I mean for the Blues, not you. Do you think they had a party at Tim Hortons? (laughs) Yeah, I think they probably probably bought every single Timbit they had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Like you, you go from a, a pretty decent forward slash two-way guy to a future Selkie winner, a future Conn Smythe winner, a future Stanley Cup winner, and a future captain of a hockey team. Yep. No big deal. Um, again, stopping uh, for a second to just mention that, um, Sabres fans, we'll, we'll talk about your team in a bit. And the good news is, is there are 
good things coming Buffalo's way, I think. But in terms of the Blues, good things have already come their way. They are freshly removed a year ago from a Stanley Cup win, their first in team history. They've been waiting a long time. Then they put up a 42-19-10 record, 94 points in 71 games. Their power play is clicking at 24.3%. Penalty kill just below 80%, but still, who cares? They're the Blues. They have a lot of talent to work with. And they were doing a lot of that without the services of Vladimir Tarasenko. So imagine if they had Vladimir Tarasenko in the fold. And I think that's part of the reason why they PTO Mike Hoffman is they need guys that can score goals while Tarasenko can't. And Mike Hoffman appears to be that guy. They also get some bottom six toughness in the form of Kyle Clifford. I think... um, Maybe they're lacking a bit of that against Vancouver. Um, so he's there to bring a little bit of that. Obviously, losing Petrangelo and Steen kind of hurts in the leadership department. But they bring in Sam, I think as you pronounce his last name, Sam Annis. Uh, Annis yeah. was one of the AHL's top scorers last year. So he's joining the team. Maybe you sprinkle in him into the lineup every now and again. So he could be another short-term solution as well if they're looking for offensive points. Um, I think the magic wasn't there during their playoff run last year. So how can they find that magic from two years ago? That's going to be one of the main storylines. More so, can Jordan Bennington play like he did in 2019? Because the Jordan Bennington we saw in Vancouver, we saw signs of the dominant Jordan Bennington, but it just wasn't consistently there. And I think he has a lot to prove. Big contract year, yeah. free agent at the end of the year. Um, it's going to be a very big year. And in order for the Blues to do well, Jordan Bennington really has to take the ball and run with this again because his backup isn't Jake Allen. It's Billy Huso, who, if you're wondering how many NHL games has he played, not many. So right. Jordan Bennington, it's his crease, and he needs to be a big part of this team. Yeah, Biddington is interesting, especially now that they don't have Jake Allen. And, like, we don't really talk about it, but Jake Allen kind of outplayed Jordan Biddington during the season. Um, so um, it will be interesting to see how Biddington does without that other person in that. I mean, not to say Jordan Biddington was bad last year either, but um, Jake Allen was pretty good um, as well. So... Um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good, interesting storyline for sure. Um, there's I, also, there's yeah. also a, another part of me is just thinking, you know, Doug Armstrong made the moves to trade for Justin Falk to sign Tory Krug in free agency, yeah. and it came at the expense of Alex Petrangelo. Not going to say that there is divide in the dressing room. I don't know for yeah. sure if there is, and I have no reason to believe that there is. I just hope there is no divide that emerges because it's if things start to go south, you know, there's always risk of finger pointing and whatnot, and the team could be divided where it's just like, yeah. well, before Alex left, we didn't have these problems, that kind of thing. So I, I just really hope that the team doesn't get eventually torn apart because they didn't keep a trans flow. So that's also in the back of my mind, too. Yeah, no, that's a good point for sure. Um yeah, I remember, it was interesting, I remember when they got out of the playoffs, I think it was Armstrong, it might have been Barube, but one of those two, they, he said that they um, they felt like like the pandemic really hurt 
their their team and it, like they weren't um, like psychologically speaking they they felt they just weren't in it as much as they would have been otherwise if there were fans there. So I am curious to see uh, now that there's not going to be fans again uh, for a whole full season this time. I mean, yeah, they're probably prepared now, but I'm wondering how much of an effect that's going to have on them um, when it gets going. But I think you can say that about every team pretty much. Um, yeah, all right. and Tampa got swept uh, during a time where there were lots of fans right. and they sure. win the Stanley Cup without. So I don't know yeah. if that argument would apply to every team. So True, although I think, like, didn't, like, the Blues, they had, like, something happen in their training facility so they couldn't practice as much well, yeah, there was on the lead-up. a bunch of positive tests, too. And, yeah, yeah, they had a lot of positive tests, too, yeah. So that, that might have... They have more of a right to say that they were affected by the... Uh, COVID stuff than most teams were. But yeah, you do have a point as well. Um, all right. Uh, speaking of Pietrangelo, we have Vegas is our next team here. Um, so they did end up getting Alex Pietrangelo. Um, they do also have uh, Dylan Sakura, um, who they get from Chicago. Um, but they subtract uh, Nate Schmidt. They also subtract... Uh, Paul Stasny as well. Um, and, you know, so this was a team that was, pr like, one win away from making it to the Stanley Cup Finals again. Um, <laughs> second time in their three-year uh, season franchise history, which is incredible. Um, so, and this is, like, an interesting team here now because they have Alex Petrangelo. They sign him for a long-term contract. Um, however, they also have Shea Theodore. Um, who's also on a long-term contract, and he was kind of already turning into a big-time player for them. Um, he was kind of, like, becoming one of the better defensemen in the league. Um, and, you know, not just because he's an offensive defenseman, but he was also doing pretty well, defensively speaking, too. Um, then you add Alex Petrangelo, and so now you're pretty good there. Um, I think there were rumors that Max Petrietti is being shopped, um, which is kind of interesting, um, so to speak, because I'm, I'm not really sure why they would be doing that. Uh, he's one of their better players, so I'm not sure why they would do that. But I think my storyline here is actually this Pietrangelo-Shea Theodore dynamic, because um, Shea Theodore has been the guy on the defense for a long while now. So I'm kind of curious about, like, how are they going to, like, now that you add someone who is better and has more seasoning uh, compared to Shea Theodore, um, like, yeah, there is experience and mentorship that Pietrangelo can share to Theodore and the rest of the team. Um, but there's also the other perspective of, like, Shea Theodore was the guy, and now they get Pietrangelo, who's signed up for a longer term it's like how are they going to interact with each other will Shea Theodore like um be as good as he was last year will Alex Petrangelo be as good as he was last year um and I'm, I'm just curious how they're gonna um uh, how they're gonna handle both those guys because they're both equally as good um which is a good thing obviously but um on the other hand it's like just in terms of deployment and stuff of that nature, how are they going to handle it? 
Um, and that's what I'm not sure about. There's also the team chemistry too, because like, it's the same with Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. Like Fleury was the guy until he wasn't. And then Robin Leonard's the guy now. And even though he's not getting paid as much as Fleury, he's got the term to prove it. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm just, I'm just thinking like all of those different types of dynamics there at, at play or like they go through players like once every year or two and you're just like, oh yeah, you, we, we love everything you did, but uh, we're, we're going in a different direction. We're trading it. So it's right. like, I, I feel like that's happening quite frequently with, with, with Vegas is like, yeah, they're good every year, but there are some guys that after a year or two, um, they they seen the part ways where the Eric Hollow was one um, a couple of seasons ago, and I get it's a salary cap thing, but but still when it when it happens to when it happens to teams like once or twice every year, you kind of you kind of get the reputation of just like yeah you know Vegas is great and they have a good team, but like there's probably other environments that probably could be better for you. I'm not saying that they have the negative environment going around them right now, but that's the last thing you want as an NHL team is you don't want to be a place that people say, eh, I don't want to go there. You right. know? Even, if, even if they do have that winning environment. So you, I, I think you need to really show some loyalty to this group now. Yeah, you've made the changes that you've made, um, but try to stay loyal with this group and – don't really change or overhaul the roster too much. Just say, for the most part, this is the same team that we're going to have to the trade deadline, to the whatever part of the season in May it is when the playoffs are supposed to begin. This, for the most part, is the team that we're sticking with. You you guys show us what you got, you know? And yeah. and I think the players are really going to feed off of that, and they're going to repay you in spades with with lots of wins and good hockey. So, um, I think they really need the this group really needs to bond, and I think the chemistry with this group, uh, if it's at the level that it was in 2017-18, because like that team really rallied around each other. They were like a bunch of like castoffs, and like right. yeah, their teams could have kept you but like if we had to keep one guy well you're the odd man out so we're 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 letting you walk to vegas and they really united and rallied around each other and they made it to the finals because they had a common goal and they believed in something they were all in the same place they're all pulling the rope at the exact same time and i feel like this team if they're in that kind of mindset and they really believe in each other um that's gonna take them a long way and losing a guy like nate schmidt potentially losing a guy to Marc-Andre Fleury for the same cap restraints that are caused by getting guys like Alex Petrangelo, getting guys like Mark Stone and uh, Robin Leonard, who are good players in, in their own right, don't get me wrong. But again, it, that's that's what happens in a salary cap restricted. Right. So um, I, in my opinion, Vegas, in terms of forwards, in terms of defense, in terms of goaltending, they're pretty strong. Um, but any hidden flaws that are there that they need to solve those gaps. I think they really need to put all of their trust in the guys they have in this dressing room right now, uh, as opposed to looking for potential UFAs that could help them for a playoff run. Right. I think the one, the only in terms of like position stuff, I feel like like they're solid on defense. They're solid on wings 
um, you know, with Mark Stone, Petretti, Riley Smith, and March or so. Um, and, and in goal, like, even, especially with a condensed schedule when there's going to be a lot of back-to-backs, it's probably good to have Mark andre Fleury and Robin Leonard because they're kind of like a 1A, 1B situation right now. Um, so, so there's the positives on that side, but I think, like, if you're going to go with weaknesses here, there's a chance that, um, like, you know, William Carlson is their top-line center. Um, I guess there is Cody Glass, so I'm curious to see if he'll make the next step there. Um, they also have Peyton Krebs in the in the system as well. So, But, like, Chandler Stevenson is their third-line center, which is kind of crazy uh, to me. So, um, or maybe they have, like, Nicholas Roy um, there, too. So he's another center, but... Their centers aren't up to snuff compared to, like, everything else that they have in their position, I mean, so maybe... I will um, also yeah. mention um, what, um, another area of weakness is their penalty kill. They killed off 76.6% of their penalties. That's only 0.5% better than the Sens, just saying. Um, if you want to look at, like, outside of their issues at center, um, they need to do better at killing penalties as well. But yes, continue. Yeah, no, but I, I think, yeah, I think the center is something that they'll probably have to address sometime in the future, and I could see that also being their downfall eventually. It's like either, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, you know, William Carlson will go back to what he was two years ago, um, or maybe uh, Cody Glass will be what we expect him to be. Uh, that's always possible, but I, I could also see it you know, being their downfall, where they're not as good as they should be, um, and all that stuff. So, yeah, well, I guess it's something to look out for for as well. So that's like my second storyline, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of cheated there. Uh, so now let's go to who will be the top four in this division. Um, so since I said the top four in the Canadians, let's. Let's have what what do you think is gonna be the top four here? Vegas and Colorado will be a coin flip for first place. I'm gonna go with the Avs taking first. Vegas will just be like a few points behind in second. Mm-hmm. Um for me, St. Louis is a solid third seed, so I'm gonna put them at three and oof. Uh that that fourth seed, um pretty interesting. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Sharks at fourth. It wouldn't surprise me though if Minnesota shocks everyone and finishes in fourth. But um, I can definitely see the Sharks uh, in fourth place. But I don't think any higher than fourth. Yeah, actually, that's exactly how I I have them. <laughs> I have Colorado first, Vegas second, uh, St. Louis third, and then there's a big drop off between those three teams and the other five. Um, but I think San Jose is the most ready of the five teams that I mentioned. I guess there is a chance that like Minnesota could surprise and maybe Anaheim could surprise, but uh, I feel like it's more likely that it's going to be San Jose uh, compared to those other teams. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting. And, you know, maybe Kirill Kaprizov can surprise and, and do something for them, but uh, we'll see. So uh, that does it this week in our... Pr- NHL preview. We have something special coming pretty soon for us, um, so that's that's gonna be fun. Um, 
We're not announcing it, but another guest, uh, I guess, we're not going to make it official yet, (laughs) just yet, Um, but, uh, so we're looking forward to that, Um, and yeah, uh, next week we'll do the Eastern um, Division and the Central, Um, so that's going to be fun. Uh, You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify at... Um, lace them up our twitter is lace up podcast uh we've been kind of talking a lot about the world juniors on our twitter and stuff so that's pretty much what we're going to be doing it's it's crazy how starved i am for hockey right now just watching the world juniors right now so um that should be fun um and then we also are on facebook at lace them up but we don't update it that often uh, that's about it i'm brett dubuff I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 250 of the Lace Em Up podcast.